if you're speaking to someone and they say something and you take it personally at any level, you're no longer listening to them. So even if someone says something that triggers your stuff or brings something up, it's, it's being able to hold that and see that without it letting it become the vision. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Howdy folks, it is RJ Singh here at Ultra Habits, and we are stoked that you are joining us on another week with another dynamic guest. We are joined by Carter McNabb, who's currently Managing Director, Strategy and Consulting, Supply Chain Operations for Accenture, following the acquisition of his firm, GRA, here in Australia in early 2021. GRA is a boutique supply chain consultancy house. Now, Carter is a dynamic man. He's a bit of a rock star in our industry. He makes supply chain cool, in my view. Now, he was at the top of his game. The business was humming. Everything was going swell and well, and GRA was really pumping. This was 2015. From the outside, everything looked unbelievably perfect. But he goes on to say, I was struggling with the competing pressures of work, parenting, relationships, the expectations I put on myself. I often felt isolated in this experience like no one else would or could understand, even though I had an active social and friendship base. This ultimately led me to seek support and discover new ways of being. After getting everything I wanted and seeing it all fall apart, I undertook a journey of self-discovery and transformation with the same vigor I put into building a business. I received incredible support, learned new ways and experienced possibilities I wasn't able to even imagine before. What looked like a tragedy on the way through ultimately became an incredible gift. Now, Carter is also a recovery and systems invention coach on the national leaderboard, the Mankind Project here in Australia, and recently launched a mentoring service for young men called That Guy with his son, Campbell. That Guy aspires to light up young men's lives by providing inspirational and aspirational companionship, advocacy, and support on the journey from boyhood to young man. And its mission and purpose is to create more love, acceptance, and safety in the world by helping boys develop into spiritually, emotionally, and physically healthy young men. Now, the conversations that I have with Carter one-on-one are amazing. Lots of depth, lots of range. We can move from technical to academic to philosophy, spirituality, to high performance, to parenting. I always feel incredibly stretched at the end of our conversations. And I wanted to expose the Ultra Habits community to this as well, this level of wisdom. For the executive that is striving and climbing, it's great. We all do it. The question is, how do we hold ourselves together? How do we strive yet conduct ourselves with grace and not fall apart? And these are the lessons that we're here to learn today. I will leave you with something Carter said. He goes on to say, I've been inspired to find ways to give back what I received and share what I learned with those who are looking. This is my vocation. 
whatever I do, breaking the cycles, paying it forward, making it better for those that come after. We leave you in the capable hands of Carter. Have a great week, guys. If you haven't, remember to rate this podcast. Your support is what keeps us going. Peace out, guys. Well, Carter, welcome to the Ultra Habits Show. We're super, super grateful to have you on. Um, I've known you throughout the supply chain industry for some time. You're our resident guru here in Australia. And for those that don't know you, you were... Uh, you founded GRA in 1997, a specialist supply chain organization, and you recently sold your firm to Accenture, which most people would know. But uh, today we want to unpack a little bit more about the man. Uh, so again, thanks for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, RJ. So yeah, so Carter, uh, you have a weird and wonderful accent like myself why don't you let the audience know where you're from, right? You're obviously not Australian. So where did you, where did you initially hail from? No, not, not originally. Um, I've been getting pretty close to being more years here than over there, though. But um, yeah, I was uh, born in South Carolina on an Air Force base um, and then moved to North Carolina, Colorado, Texas, Chicago, and then here. What actually brought you here to Australia? Uh, so when I was in Chicago, I was working for an operations research consulting firm that did a lot of work in um, supply chain optimization systems. The Australian Air Force had picked up their technology. And uh, I'd only been with the company for, oh, maybe about a year. But um, I was very keen to get over it just for some reason. I just was like, I really want to go to Australia and do this project. And um, yeah, I, I found a way to get over. It. And um, I was only meant to be out here for a couple of months, but ended up being here for a year and a half. Um, and over that time, Australia started to feel more like home than Chicago, because I'd only been living in Chicago for about, you know, as I said, 10 to 12 months. Mm. Had some really wonderful people and yeah, decided to stay. Plus, it's so damn cold in Chicago. But uh, yeah, it's, I, it's, like, dangerously. I, I really had. I, <laughs> especially, especially being from the southern state. So did you yeah. did you fall into supply chain? I know a lot of people typically fall into supply chain like how that all happened was like that the plan or was that something that just kind of happened no you know it's 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 really funny because I, I don't think I've had a traditional career in the sense that I've I've never really had a sense for what I wanted to do <laughs> interesting. and yeah so I yeah the way that worked is there was a friend from university whose father had this firm in Chicago and um he had asked his son if he knew anyone else that he thought might be good at this sort of work. And so he gave me a call and said, you want to give this a try? I said, sure. Um, at that point in time, I really wasn't doing anything. I graduated university with zero plans. And um, I went to Russia for a little while. I came back and I was, uh, I think it was valet parking at that point. And, um, and I was like, sure, I'll go to Chicago and do that, which is kind of like the Australia. I was like, sure, I'll go to Australia and do that. And then, you know, then one day I woke up, I was like, wow, I moved here. <laughs> Hmm. It's like ready, shoot, aim. Yes, and it's it's what I, I think the difference is. At least at that point, I was doing things with such enthusiasm. Mm. You know, just it was, and 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 you know, there's there's a real beauty in that. You know, a real beauty mm. in just being able to completely be present and fully alive in what's being done. And I think that in itself creates a lot of energy. So I mean, I think that's that's also part of the story of the business being built. Again, it wasn't like. I want to be in supply chain because I think it's going to be the, it's the best industry to be in. And over the next 15 years, it's going to go crazy. 
I just was, I, I, I found the subject matter really interesting at that point in time. Um, the idea of starting something with some people that I knew, because that, that's, that's another point I'd like to make is that um, I founded GRA with two others, so two other founding partners. And I had actually worked with them in the Air Force, so I knew them already. Um, yeah, so the idea of kind of starting something, um, working with people that I knew and liked, and um, just kind of giving it a go, that, that in itself was exciting. So that was, that was the plan. <laughs> yeah, so that's interesting. So your, your piece on not necessarily knowing what you wanted to do and kind of following the ball, I tend to agree with that. There is a thought out there and obviously language around needing to have really tight plans, three-year plans, five-year plans. Like what's your view on, you know, goals and how concrete they need to be versus kind of flowing? It's, it's a great question. And my response to that would be it's, it's whatever works. I don't, I don't have kind of a fundamentalist view on that. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a saying in the, in the, the yogic world, which is, you know, where attention goes, energy flows. So I think that the, the more, um, the more focused I am on something, and it's interesting that focus can be conscious or unconscious. And I think part of what drove me um, as, G as GRA got bigger and evolved was more that I, it was almost like I, there was a, there was some belief that thought that I couldn't do it. And in some mm -hmm. ways it was almost like, this is happening like this. It's now getting bigger and this is happening and so on. Um, so so it, it was almost, it was almost the, the, the opposite in some ways, but, but that's the funny thing is, is that was also a very strong belief that had a, a point of, was more of an unconscious um, focus as opposed to a conscious focus that served for a point in time. Um, the way I do things, I mean, my, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, there's kind of the, the head-based intelligence, but I think a lot of my, um, yeah, how I kind of see things, I'm very instinctive. Um, there's sort of, a, it, it's an intuition thing. And, um, so my sense is in some ways, figure out which ocean you want to surf in, but ride the waves that come in and don't do don't get too fixed on um, what the ocean is going to look like or being in that one ocean for the next 10 years. So the way I used to look at it is, you know, it's, it's good to have um, kind of a vision for where you want to be in three to five years. Um, and again, that can be as specific as you like or not. For me, it's, I, I think if I'm being really honest, I, I could have been more specific. I think that was an opportunity. I probably could have been more specific in that. How would that um, have helped though? How would that have helped or, how would that have added value? Uh, I, just focus, just on um, yes. The more clear, the more clear I am on um, what serves the mission or purpose, then it's much easier to make decisions and say, you know, that either fits or it doesn't. Um, so, so yeah, I, I'd say that I, I think I could have been better at that, um, and there was something about. Again, it's hard to put a finger on, but there was a period of time at GRI where my sense was, you know, what I think I really brought to that business was kind of a sense of what needed to happen next. And I do say a sense because it was like, you know, we I think we need to expand the offer. We need to, you know, we need to change the organizational structure to allow us to grow more because, you know, we were a smaller business and a very kind of a top down structure. And, you know, as, as a small business being very involved in everything, there's that piece about, you know, how do I now put down those mechanisms that help the business get to this point and kind of let go of that control. And 
and, and take a step back. And it's scary. You know, that, that can be really scary to transition from a small business where everybody's you know, really intimately connected and involved to that next phase where it's, you know, in some ways you have to take a step back to allow it to move to that next point. And that can be really tough. Um, Do you think in terms of that sense that you just uh, touched on that an individual can develop that or it's innate? The thing is, I, I, I want to go to the point around um, diversity because I think different things will work for different people. Um, so I know people who are in some ways uh, much, you know, they, they use kind of a, emotions as a compass um you know and, and emotions often are a compass you know so they say anger is a it's, a it's an emotion it's in the now it usually indicates a boundary's been crossed and it it's, it's about action whereas um grief is is typically focused on the past um and it's something about loss whereas fear is focused on the future um and then the the idea of the of the kind of the sovereign you know energy if you will and that kind of that really authentic grounded leadership it's joy um, which is a place of holding space and so on. But what I'm saying is that I think there are kind of tendencies that we all have or proclivities or inclinations. So, so mine tends to be a bit more instinctive, like I'm at my best. I feel when I can really sit in the middle of a situation. And again, it's a felt sense about where to go. And I don't know what that is. Um, and I think it can be developed, hence your question, in that the the better able I am to hear myself, and I say that kind of in the in the, in the broader eye. So, the better any of us are being able to actually hear ourselves, then I think that voice is worth listening to. You and I have had conversations offline, and it's evident within this conversation that you have a practice, and you're a person that seeks to evolve yourself. But let's take it back to when you started. GRA and you know you started with great intentions and you know you were having a good time how did you personally evolve or potentially de-evolve in terms of you know did you were you always on this path of realization how did you get mm. to where you're at now in terms of these other broader conversations we're having you know, offline. Yeah. Like I, I, I want to know: Were you like already on this path, or what? What happened? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I think there's a part of me that's always well, not a part. I mean, I think I've always been a seeker. Um, and uh, I said the thing with seeking is that um, seekers never know the comfort of conclusions, only the intensity of seeking. <laughs> I relate. Yeah. And so, so as, as a kid, I mean, it was the same thing. I just remember as a kid being very, you know, very connected with nature, animals. Um, yeah. Quite full of awe and wonder. Um, you know, as a kid, I read the, read the unabridged version of Grimm's fairy tales back to back like five times. It's like a 1200 page book, you know, um, and that sort of thing. And, no, I, I think I think I think there was some, I guess, adapted personality responses to some, you know, some wounding as a kid, you know, because that, you know, that that kind of big sensitive heart, you know, that that sense of being connected and all that, and then 
a big part of that for me actually was moving from Colorado because in Colorado I was, you know, I was a third grade and a kid. And I um, moved to this suburb in, in Dallas, Texas, which in this particular school, which you know, historically was famous for having a really, really difficult social cohort. Um, and all of a sudden it was like heavy competitive sports. And there was, a, there was um, yeah, a very strong pecking order and sort of social hierarchy. And I was the new kid in and, and, you know, so they're, they're, I kind of took on this, well, something must not be right. Because, you know, as they say with kids, if you don't fit in, kids, a kid will not, a child will not look at an environment and say, maybe it's the environment that doesn't suit. It's like, there must be something wrong with me because I have to survive and adapt in this environment. Make sense? Yeah, totally. So, so I think then too, as well, there was a, there was a whole, um, what I would say, kind of a consensus reality story about the way life looks. Yeah, you get that from all the all the movies, all the Disney movies. You know, you, you get a job, you get married, find a princess. Find a prince. <laughs> yeah, and, and have you ever noticed it in those movies? Like the, all of those stories, nothing happens after that. Then it's done. It's like your happiness is now found. It's finished. Mm. Yeah, it's crazy. It. Yeah, it, it really is. If you think about it, I mean, and um, so this is why kind of it's interesting. This theme is kind of popping up. It's this issue of diversity. So there is there is you know psychological diversity about um, people have different orientations for how they actually process information and experience the world. There's also a diversity of choices about how people may choose to live their lives. There can be some danger in that because well again do I do I stay in the in the in, the in circle and survive in the tribe or do I not? Um, but but I think what yeah what, what what drove me, RJ, is that, um, yeah, I got out of university. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, I don't really have a plan. I'm not sure. Um, what am I going to do? I was going to be a musician for a while and, you know, this sort of thing. And, and uh, I was like, hmm, it's kind of sitting on the couch. And it was very quiet. All of a sudden, all my friends had gone and got jobs. <laughs> and uh, then I got a call from my friend. I was like, great. But, um, but again, it was just about sort of throwing myself into it. Um, and for a while, I found that world so fascinating because the, the, the company that I went to work for, you know, worked in optimization technology. And I started getting, you know, I didn't really understand computer science. And I started getting really into the, you know, the physics and the information processing side of it all. And, um, yeah, kind of really ripped down that rabbit hole. And so I found it really fascinating and really interesting. And that passion came through. So then there was, there was kind of a GRI. There was a passion for the work. There was a passion for what we did. And I think... That was the drive. I just had enormous energy. I mean, that's what I know about myself when I'm on. Like when I find something that lights me up, it's just beautiful because I just go. You know, it's wonderful. It's not actually that hard. You know, when I'm does, does it? Can I just touch on that? Does that yeah. ener does that un energy sometimes impact the environment negatively? Is there is there a downside to that energy? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. <laughs> Oh, I love this. This is great. Um, it's it's not the energy itself. It's what the energy is in service of. Mm. So let, let me explain that. I saw someone post something on Facebook recently. Said it, it said it. It was like, "Hey, men, you know, um, how do you get in relationship with the dangerous parts of yourself? And what do you do to be in relationship?" And my point was, the parts are only dangerous when I'm not in relationship with them. So, so, you know, the part of me that can be manipulative and controlling and abusive and tyrannical and maniacal and all that, I mean, they're all there. Um, 
my sense is that these days, if those things show up, I get curious. Like if I feel that it's like, oh, because I know that those are protectors to defensive strategies in some way. Um, so the point is, it's if I'm consciously aware of all the parts, then I can choose my response, which means I'm actually very safe because I'm not denying or repressing anything, but I'm choosing consciously. If those parts are repressed, and they will act out in a reactive, unconscious way, and that's when that's that's dangerous. So the part's not dangerous; it's whether it's conscious or unconscious. So for me, the energy is when when this when, I, when the big energy that I do have um, is in service, is in alignment, and it comes from a place of me being really connected to myself. Um, yes, it has an impact, but at some point. Um, I don't know. That's funny, RJ. I guess my sense is, is when I've been really, when I feel really in and that energy's there, I don't sense that it has an impact. But when I use my bigness, because, you know, my, sometimes I'll, you know, my defensive strategy sometimes is to hide right out in front, to get right out in the middle, you know, take up space, you know, that's, that's, and then when I do that, people feel small. You know, they, they don't feel seen because I'm, I'm too busy taking up the space. So I don't think that I don't think the you know the energy itself has an impact because it's just a it's a force you know it's like like gravity or sunlight or something like that you know it's it's just a force, but it's um, and I think this is what goes back to lead you know to me this is a, there's a very strong ground leadership around this is because in a leadership role um, there is an undue level of rank power and privilege and in a leadership role when I'm really dropped in and connected to self and safe in myself, then that's the place that I lead and the action comes from. But if I'm stressed, wound up, myself under pressure, kind of having trouble dealing with all the high expectations, busy people pleasing or whatever else it is, um, yeah, <laughs> then then that's what can, then, it, then that energy can be dangerous or have an impact. That was interesting, you caught my sigh. Yeah. <laughs> I relate. I relate. And so that's interesting. So it's what is the energy aligned with and being conscious of using it for powers of good will ensure that I'm operating with grace in my environment, not impacting people adversely and stepping on them. And, and uh, that's what I take from that. And I think that's brilliant. When you started GRA and now you're starting to accumulate prestige, rank, and you know, and honor and finances. Did you struggle with that? Was there any struggle there in terms of did you go through any personal struggles there when you started to accumulate stuff and and you know, like that whole journey? Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Um hmm, yeah, great question. Yeah, they got to a point. I think I think for for a long time, RJ, I was really, really trying to busy. I was really busy trying to be somewhere other than I was all the time. Mm -hmm. Not not conscious. I remember I remember sitting and it was a it was a um, you know a men's circle, and I remember I was just I was sharing something. This was kind of um, in the early days before I you know did some really deeper work on myself. This guy was listening to me, <laughs> and I remember he looked at me. He said he said he said he was a self helping. I said he said Carter, do you trust? I was like. What? I mean, I, I thought he was—I thought he was kidding. I literally was offended by the question. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> of course not. What do you? I mean, um, uh, I mean, I seriously thought he was kidding. And he was like, okay. He's like, okay. He said, just. He 
he said, just start using the word more frequently. Just just get comfortable with the idea. And then he said, um, what if there were no mistakes and there was nowhere to get to? And I was just like, yeah, that's ex <laughs> that's exactly what happened to me. It was disorienting. Like it was, it's almost like I went into vertigo for a second. Because mm. at that point, you know, I mean, the, you know, that there was a there was a very you know, a very strong inner critic, you know, with perfectionistic tendencies, constantly looking for the mistake. You know, again, it's just it's a defense mechanism. And so that was there. Um, and there was always this other place to get to. And so th there was a point, I do remember when it was a really odd thing, RJ, because I remember kind of getting to a point where, this was a few years ago, where, where it all looked like everything that I had told myself that I wanted, and this, is, this is, comes back to having goals, by the way. Um, so also be careful what you wish for, because you know, you know, how many times have you got exactly what you wanted only to find that it actually wasn't what you really wanted? Um, and this is why I got back to the, to the being-ness of it as opposed to the doing, you know, do from the being. That's supposed to be the way around. But I got to a point where, yeah, kind of I had all the boxes ticked. And, I, and I, you know, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I had a checklist. You know, there was like, um, but I got it. And there was a, um, I remember feeling, it was actually a sinking feeling in that moment. Do you think you could have achieved the material um, outcomes that you've achieved today being the person you are now. And I guess what I'm trying to ask is, did those defects serve you? Uh, and thank you. Let, let, is it okay if I address the, the language slightly differently? Of course, um, that, of course. I think it, for me, it's important because as I've become more compassionate with myself, um, I, I, I don't see anything, I don't really, I, I mean, I, I might have used to, I, I, there was a time I might have seen a really heavily, you know, like um, drug influenced person on the street and like been like, oh, you know, I had a story or something. And now I just think I can only imagine what that person went through. That, that, that's, that's what happens now. It's just like, oh, boy, you know, I really feel it. Um, you know, so, so in some ways, I kind of look at a human being as a photographic negative of everything that's happened to them to this point in time. And it's the same people evolve in a use dependent manner, like our nervous systems evolve in a use dependent manner where we, we sort of take on the shape of our environment. So the way I look at those sorts of things is those things were beautiful protectors at a point in time. But then um, but then I have to there was well, I don't have to do anything, but there was a conscious choice to unlearn some of that. And I haven't lost your question, but I just want to speak to this. Um, there was a conscious choice to to step out of that, but it was terrifying. I mean, like, because I didn't know, I, I, what do I do? Who, who am I without all those things? Like what, you know, like it was a whole identity kind of, you know. Was there an existential crisis? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, got it, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I just, I hit the point where I just, I just, I just, yeah, my, yeah, things kind of imploded. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I had a big health crisis, divorce, you know, just mm -hmm. everything kind of, and in some ways it was, yeah, it was just, and I, and I remember thinking at that time, it's like, I've, I've got to, there was some voice that said, if you don't, um, if you don't have a look, if, if you don't figure out a different way of being on the planet, you're going to do all this again, because you don't know mm -hmm. any way of doing it. And I don't know what that voice was, and I'm like, you know, thanks, mm -hmm. thanks voice, that was great. That was really I don't know, you know. Um, 
Yeah, so it started having a really good look. But but going back to your point, you know, it's a really interesting one because it comes back to this, like, what's success? And I remember, you know, one is um, all the status, all the things. I mean, I'm not saying that isn't, but there's another one I heard somebody once. I know this is this is hard for me at times and hard for a lot of people I know, but someone said if if you can go through a completely ordinary day in a completely ordinary way and feel joy, that's it. Um, and I think from that perspective, it doesn't matter what I have or do as long as that's true. But but how how much of the striving is about doing because I think when I get there, I'm going to be this way that I'm not right now. Then I'll be okay. Then I'll feel self-confident. Then I'll feel secure. Then I'll have the, then, then, you know, then the inner critic will stop. doesn't work that way. I, I think it's important to realize that the striving in this kind of functional life, you know, will not satisfy this spirit. And one is time bound and one is hmm. one is not right like in these are the complexities that we're overlaying like you know in terms of what your your previous comment about the ordinary day like how do we achieve that space whilst we juxtapose that with the striving that's occurring in our functional life like that's the million dollar probably the billion dollar question <laughs> right because you know you and i you know, for the for the audience, they they weren't privy. We had an offline conversation, and I said to you, Carter, so we'll look. Is you know, we all look to you, um, and we look up to you in the industry. And it's like now you're at the mountaintop, and it's like it's easy enough to say that. But how about for us that are still trying to? Because you know, you and I were talking about the definition of success, and you're you're much more. Uh, you have a much more broadened, and um, I suppose. There's a de depth of spirit within that definition. Um, and mm. but for the audience out there that's still trying to grind, how do they take that and implement it into their daily striving? And I think that's really um, what you're touching on. And I think you're very careful because you know it's a complex overlay, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it. There is, and it's, hmm. I don't know why I'm just going to tell the stories it's popped in, but you know, when I, when I started doing a lot of the um, personal development, I mean, and, and I, these terms all come with their own kind of per perceptive overlay in the sense that how they're perceived by, you know, so as soon as I say the world, personal development, transformation, spirituality, it comes with a whole bunch of baggage and, um, Look, and, and the best definition, um, uh, you know, I've heard of, of of what enlightenment or spirituality is, is just seeing things as they really are. And uh, and that I can take a, I mean, that's not, it's, it's easy to say it's a very different thing to do. Um, and it's not a doing either. And I, I don't say at best I've had maybe a glimpse of it here and there. But the thing is, at one point, I was like, you know what, all the stuff I used to do, kind of what I, what, what I got up to wasn't really help, helpful for me anymore. So I'm going to go try some of this. And at the time, and I'm not kidding, RJ, at the time when I got into that stuff, my, my, my thought process was they seem like nicer people. They treat themselves better. They're fr really friendly. Um, I don't think any of this stuff really works, but I'm just going to go do that because it's better mm -hmm. than doing what I was doing over here. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember, um, you know, it was one of those moments where um, I remember I was leaving again. It was one of these, um, you know, this men's group, men's circle. And I, and I was, and I was driving, I was driving, I was about to turn right. And my son had called me at that point and I sort of pressed the button to take the call, but I didn't put on my indicator to turn right. And so the guy behind me, and he pulls up next to me and just rolls down the window and screaming, you know, just, you know, I mean, just, ah. Uh. And I remember, looking, I remember looking at this guy and what actually happened. This is the, this is the process that what I went through, I went, um, and I know what that's like. I said, like, this poor guy, he must be really, really struggling and suffering. And then I went, did I just do that? And, and then I, I, was, I was grateful that the, the universe gave me an opportunity to do that totally different because 10 years before, I would have been right back at that guy. Mm. Um, and then I would have talked to everybody about it for who would have listened for the next three days about this. <laughs> all that, you know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you believe it? I'm just, you know, mm, you, know, yeah. you, know, you know. And so it was like, no, this is working. You know, this is, it's actually happening. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, even below my conscious awareness, things were starting to shift. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how it works. I don't know why some people decide to look at this and some, you know, some do and some don't. Um, all I know is of all the things that I've tried, I just know that this piece of getting in relationship with self works. Um, that's it. Well, you know, that there was, uh, you said something interesting. Uh, about you know treating ourselves better right like how often do we hear that right like we're we you know there's such a, uh, a you know there's a massive view on how we should treat others better and we all have those conversations but when it comes to self-care and treating ourselves better it's interesting interesting language yeah. um so you're now at Accenture and you're surrounded by can I, can I, can no, I speak to that real quick of course. Yeah, yeah this is yeah. um um, yeah, what, what, what's your view? Why, how would you de define misogyny? Interesting question. Um, I would define it as a, a subtle, uh, a subtle and non-subtle a form of male domination over people, places, environment, and things. I think that's how I would term it. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick break to thank you for your continued support of the Ultra Habits Show. It's through your support that we've been able to scale this thing so quickly and so strong over the past year, and we're truly grateful for your continued support. If you haven't already, please go to www.ultrahabits.co and subscribe. You'll get cool information, insights, and be up to date with everything we're doing. And also, if you haven't, please rate this podcast. The link is in the show notes. When you do this, you help us scale our message of ultra performance, ultimately helping us create more impact with our tribe. Anyways, we're going to leave you back in the hands of our wonderful guest, Right. No, thank you. Thank you. Um, yes. And to add to that, 
um, consider the possibility that misogyny is, is the repression of the feminine in 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 any gender. Yeah. So in other words, in regard, irrespective of whether it's male or female, misogyny yeah. can happen in, in a in a a female-bodied person. It's a repression mm -hmm. of the feminine. So. This is a this is a big topic because this comes down to because I, th I think the corporate world is still largely a very um, it's it's male dominated in terms of that energy, but it's it sometimes can be and if you think about there's kind of the conscious masculine, which is a you know can be a, a very beautiful um, you know uh, protective, supportive, directive, but you know it's it's an energy of space holding and presence, but the immature masculine is the tyrant. Mm -hmm. the tyrant. And, and and tyranny again comes down to it's the repression of something, right? So if I'm if I'm repressing the feminine, if like in other words, I don't allow myself self care. It's not okay to show up in a bad way. I can't be afraid. I can't be vulnerable. I can't. Um, and then that's what I bring to work. Then um, that's where I think a lot of this comes from, you know. And so to me, the narrative around leadership is around welcoming the whole person you know it doesn't mean don't perform it doesn't mean because we still got to get on and do things um um i woke up today for some reason i don't know why just feeling a ton of grief in my body bunch and there's a part of me that was like i don't want to show up for this calls i want to be awesome and on and you know and i was like no but i can hold that you know i know how to hold that part of myself and still show up so i didn't repress it i just acknowledged it and still was able to you know and i'm acknowledging it now and that's okay you know there it is so, so I, I think that there's a really big piece in, um, I think the, what I'm hoping the future of leadership looks like in the corporate world is this idea of, of leadership is about, number one, it's not a title. You don't get to, and, and it is in, in, in the corporate world, but if you look at it, it's a role in the field that I pick up when it suits the greater good of the tribe. Mm. And I put it down when it doesn't, you know, so in other words, it, I don't want it to calcify into my ego structure and identity because then, then that's tyrannical. And it's like, no, I've got to be the big, I've got to be that guy. Yeah. So leadership, it's a role in the field. It's a dance. It's a movement. Um, number one, number two, it's about how do I be in that role? So the being is, I'm going to say more important than the doing. Because if I take my kids to soccer practice and I'm stressed and annoyed and kind of crappy about it, that's not, that's not helping anybody. It's not helping them. It's not helping me. But if I do it in a really good way, like it's a real act of service, then it's beautiful. It's not the thing. It's, it's where it comes from. Um, and, and, the th and that third piece then is welcoming the whole human. Because, I mean, I kind of go back, why, why do any of us work? And this is a bigger question. I'd like to think, I mean, aren't I trying to make it better for the next group, the next lot? Um, honestly, all the time now. I, I'm not doing that all the time. I'd like to think that, but you know, that's it's a working process. Yeah, there's still a, there's still identity and stuff in it for me, but working on it. But the thing is, is that if I if I'm in a workplace that is um, extractive and harmful to humans, then what do those humans go back and put back into their family systems? Um, and I don't have an answer for that, RJ. Just that, but part of the answer is having a conversation in a forum like this and hopefully getting that message out there and saying it's okay to. Like, this is where this has got to go. This is where it's got to go. Mm. I find what you just said about shared leadership and how you, we view it as a role versus allowing it to calcify into our ego and our being. 
I think that's really interesting. Hmm. Have you seen that play out within organizations where there's a really loose structure and at any given point, the junior person can step up as the leader and call out the leader? And how have you seen that play hmm. out? Or is that still the, the holy grail in your view? Um, I've seen it in organizations. I personally haven't seen it in corporate organizations, if you will. Um, I've seen it where people can take initiative and where innovation is possible because psychological safety is present. Um, but, you know, there's so many, that question's got a lot of layers to it because because even the, um, I, I'd like to think it, we, 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 were, we were getting more and more there at GRA, which is we started to create intentional spaces for that sort of stuff to happen. Um, and, you know, again, there, there has to be some real awareness about um, people being, um, it has to be by invitation, you have to be very clear about the roles. There's, there's, there's a lot to do to make that safe because as soon as you start mixing um, what someone does for work to survive effectively and emotional vulnerability and so on, that um, that just needs to be done with a lot of care. That's all, mm. just care. Um, but I've seen places like Google did the research and Google said that the, the thing they found that was the, the number one factor for innovation was psychological safety, the number one thing. That, that's interesting because in season one of our show, that was the, uh, the theme that came mm. up continuously when we interviewed military elite, academics, business leaders, and it was quite surprising. Um, uh, we actually found a firm in, in Brisbane. Uh, we wanted to get the founder on. She measures it, right? Mm. She has this kind of technology to measure it. Um, and it was obvious when you thought about why psychological safety is important for innovation. Um, but it wasn't obvious to me, you know, before the conversations for some reason, you know what I mean? Um, I interested, uh, you know, I just to, to be, to speak personally, this piece on misogyny and this male energy or male or uh, ma over masculine energy dominating the space. I've thought about that with myself and I look at my career. Uh, I'm in supply chain, which is primarily male dominated still, as you, as you know, but I was thinking, and it was kind of bugging me the other day. I've never closed a deal or made a deal with a female customer. And I was thinking about that and reflecting how much of that is because of my style like, am I over masculine? Am I, do I push? Is there any level of misogyny in my approach or is it an industry thing? And to be honest, I haven't figured it out yet. I mean, I've been in the industry a long time making deals, but I haven't yet uh, been able to really uh, create value with a female on the other side of the table. And to be 100% honest, I don't know if that's, my style mm. or the industry, but I actually think it might, might be partly my style mm. <laughs> because of just this over inflation of uh, masculine energy, which I feel because women that have gotten to a place of decision-making have probably had to contend with this energy repel from. 
and I've questioned myself is to, am I actually guilty of that? Mm. <laughs> mm -mm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. No, it's, that's yeah, that's that's yeah, appreciate yeah, appreciate you sharing that. So, so I, what I'm hearing in that is, so if I've heard you heard you correctly, you have been in situations where you've been in a, a selling situation with a female, and you're saying that none of those closed, and you you're wondering if it's something about your approach that the other person finds repelling or repulsive. Is that? Yeah, or, or yeah, or overly aggressive or assertive. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's just something I've been reflecting on lately, mm. to, be, to be honest with you, because I partly why I'm reflecting on that is we had uh, actually our guest who's being released on the podcast this week. He's a PhD from the Naval War Academy in the US, uh, Dr. David Smith, and he's written multiple books on why men should intentionally mentor women. Right. And he's written a book called Athena Rising. And it's very, very, uh, you know, the stats are there as to why men should get interested in, in their female counterparts' development. And it had me thinking about how I relate to women in the workplace and then in my career in general. I suppose that's why it's quite topical. Mm -hmm. mm. What's, um, so it's interesting because, I mean, this, in some ways, this comes down to, um, look, I'll, I'll just say it. There's also a, I think there's like what I would call a consensus reality uh, narrative about relationships and sexuality that's very outcome objective based. Mm -hmm. um, so have a think about that for a sec. So sit with that idea that the person's looking at me on the other side of the table just wants something from me in the future. So there's that, and then there's another piece which is just to say you know I mean I, I it's funny at a couple of the um, young team members at GRA years ago asked me to do, um, you know, like, how do you sell? I was like, ah, that's a, that's a great question. But I sat with it and I thought, I sat with it and I said, well, I said, um, I said, and I asked, I said, I said, so I said, how do you, how do you sell? One of the guys said, oh, you know, I tell them about the benefits of the product and this. And I said, yeah, yeah. So that's good. That's good. Like, what else, what else could you try? Well, I can, you know, I could do this. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Said, oh, okay. Well, what else? You know, but what's a, what's a different way of having a conversation? What's a way of showing someone that you're really curious about what's happening for them? You know, like what, what their, what, what their, what their needs and wants are. I could say, and I just kept asking questions until they went, oh, I'll ask questions. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so it's like in a relationship. So I said, you know, um, you know, any relationship, there has to be an element of um, attraction or desire. And then there has to be love. And um, the attraction or desire, you dem that's demonstrated through a real deep curiosity in the other. And, and yeah, and there's intrigue and excitement and variety and, you know, there's all that sort of stuff that happens in that space. And then the, the love is this, it's the certainty and it's the safety and it's the trust, you know, and again, and that's how a long-term healthy, long-term relationship is built, yeah? And you've got to keep putting the desire and the curiosity in that as well, so, you know, so that they kind of, you know, it's, it's a self-reinforcing thing. So um, what, what I would, you know, if, if you're open to the invitation is to, you know, um, have a look at the situations you've been in and firstly get curious about yourself. Like what, what, what story am I running when I'm sitting across 
because I think I, the one thing I will say about um, um, female body people, women, is that they're, that I believe, and again, there's there's the there's a neuroscience basis to this, which is the um, uh, the, the nervous system isn't myelinated myelinated to the same level, and the reason for that is is that's basically so a um, gestating infant can actually feel the environment through the mother's body, and so there, there's a much greater felt sense. So if if you have self doubt and you're you've got like the inner critic running about maybe I'm not doing this right, maybe I'm dangerous, then they're gonna that's gonna get that's in the field that's picked up. So the first thing is get really, I just with the invitation is to get really curious about what's happening for you. What's the story I'm running? What's going on here? Um, and when I get in relationship with the part of me that's doing that, then and only then can I actually listen to the other person. Uh, so this so this whole idea about, um, there was something about holding space that I learned in Mankind Project, which and I never learned this in leadership development anywhere in the corporate space. And what they said is, is that if you're speaking to someone and they say something and you take it personally at any level, you're no longer listening to them. You're now back in here. You're in your own thing. Um, so even if someone says something that triggers your stuff or brings something up, it's, it's being able to hold that and see that without it letting it become the vision. Does that make any, I don't know if that makes oh, sense. Oh, makes, makes one. I, I was just talking to um, um, my sponsor in AA about that. Like, you know, right now at home, we've got babies, young ones, we're tired. We're trying to um, buy a house here and there's a lot of stress and I'm noticing I'm taking things personally at home with my wife and we already have different styles of communication. Um, I'm being an American. I don't do well with sarcasm, cultural nuances, and, but we, we know that, but still, um, you know, we're taught in recovery that when I'm disturbed, something's wrong with me, right? Like it's mm -hmm. not necessarily what the person's saying or doing. And I'm very much aware to what you're saying that like, I'm in this place right now, in this moment, in this relationship that with my wife of oversensitivity, and I'm yeah. acutely aware of that. And because I'm there when she says something, I then get lost in the content story that I'm creating about what she's saying versus actually being fully present there. Yeah. So yes, that that is 100% rings true and hits home for me. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and when I'm when I'm not looking after myself, all that the you know that stuff in me comes back up too. You know, like if I'm, if I'm not looking after myself too much, whatever. It, what I try to do these days is when something kind of is running, I try to kind of work my way back. You know, where where was the first micro abandonment? You know, where did I leave myself and where did I leave myself mm, again? Micro abandonment. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, what happens is, I mean, I, I, you know, it's I'll do that. I'll do that in intimate relationships. You know, sometimes not. But there's a thing about speaking the truth, but speaking it from a place of love, which generally looks like. I mean, the other person can feel it, and it usually starts with me saying "I." As soon as I say "you," <laughs> we're on, you know. Um, so it, it's it's that that idea of self responsibility. And as soon as I, you know, say if I say "you," then the other person. I mean, I, I've I've studied this. The the neurological response is already in a defensive posture. So mm. that makes sense. Oh, when is yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean. I think that's why 
it's always better. And I mean, it's within the primary relationship, there's the most uh, appetite for button pushing, I would say, you know, like the primary uh, romantic relationships that we're in. And, you know, the way we communicate in those relationships, uh, especially when we're in disagreement, I think is super critical in language we use. I, we, you, you know, these are very, very important. Yeah. Well, in intimate relationships, you generally um, will find yourself in a pairing that reflects the way your parents, um, one of the, you know, it may not be both parents, but one of your parents, um, how they regulated their nervous system. So, so in other words, we, we tend to seek that because that's what we know. So you, you ever, do you ever find that interesting? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, there's a lot of uh, upside with my parents' relationship, and there's a lot of downside. And, you know, like, I, I you know, I... I mean, I mean the relationship between you and your primary caregivers in terms of how they dealt with your feelings of distress. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a whole book, isn't it? There are books about it. <laughs> There are many books about it. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty, I mean, there's pretty simple models for it, but it's actually really good to be aware. Um, like they call it attachment styles. If you're familiar with this. Mm-hmm. So there's like a secure attachment, there's an anxious attachment and an avoided attachment style. And you generally find that um, you t- tend to get anxious and avoid it in pairs in relationships. And mm-hmm. they have quite, they, they approach the same exact situation with an opposite approach, which typically triggers the other person's Trauma story. Yeah. Anyway, that is a whole other thing to unpack. We could do that another time. But um, but but I guess what it comes back to is again, it's that how do I speak my truth in a really in a really healthy, loving way um, that doesn't have the fear running, and how do I do it earlier in the piece so that I don't I don't build up little bits of resentment that all come out, boom, you know. Mm. Yeah. You know, I get that. So I, I want to move the conversation to where you're at now. So you're you're with Accenture. You're exposed to some of the probably, I would assume, some of the, the youngest and, and dynamic minds out there. And for someone like yourself that I know likes to impart, you have a lot to impart. How are you finding that journey now of exposure to so many people, so many initiatives? We know Accenture's, you know, um, well into a diverse approach? Are you enjoying that? Are you finding scope in terms of being able to develop people and have more of these conversations? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, Accenture does some things in terms of um, its diversity and inclusion agenda is brilliant and that it, not just, it doesn't just talk about it, it actually does it. Um, and it's one of the few organizations I've seen that really, I mean, and, and they, I mean, it's backed significantly. It's looked at, it's measured, it's talked about, it's adjusted. Um, changes the recruiting priorities and focus. I mean, it's 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 brilliant. It really is brilliant. And that also goes to things like um, yeah, relationship styles, sexual preferences. So um, LGBT, uh, LBGTQ is a is a big community there as well. Um, and it's and there are forums in work hours around that sort of stuff, um, which is wow. you know, wonder. Yeah, exactly. It's wonderful. Um, you know, I, I got in there, it got so, got so busy. I was starting to feel like yeah, a lot of the interactions were very transactional. And so I, I kind of went into a little bit of, ah, oh, it's this, 
And then I just, so I just, I just decided, well, I'm not going to kind of, I'm not going to buy that. I could, I could get, I could get pulled under the waves by that, but I just went, no, I'm not going to do it. And so I started reaching out and found something in Accenture called the Healthy Minds Network. And I'm presenting on polyvagal theory to, you know, oh, um, to and again, polyvagal theory, it's, it's a great model because it's scientifically based and back. It's about nervous system regulation. I think a, an incredible tool for being for awareness and leadership, um, navigating situations, you know, because when when I become dysregulated, so I'm moving to fight or flight or collapse, um, basically my PFC, prefrontal cortex goes offline, which means I have no access to my skills or creativity or capabilities. All, all my learned goodness goes away and I move into binary so survival-based thinking. Um, and in, in high pressure, high stress environments, you know, people are often kind of just on the border of fight or flight all the time. So it's about how do I re-regulate, come back? And again, psychological safety in myself means I'm more creative and innovative and so on. So I kind of use that to bring these ideas into a corporate space because it, it, isn't, it isn't woo. It's scientifically based. But mm -hmm. it, the funny thing is they've done a bunch of research on things like yogic practices and so on and actually have now proven they do completely downregulate the nervous system. So they do work. Um, but yeah, so, um, I guess what I found at a place like Accenture is that it's, um, I really had to kind of test my own beliefs about, um, what can I create? So do I, do, am I going to, am I going to let myself go into a victim story or am I going to really lean into to the big current and, you know, hold fast. And so I just, um, I stepped in and started saying, this is what I'm going to make important. And um, whilst doing all the other things, by the way, this isn't like I stopped doing this, but I'm just going to make sure I make this important because it's exactly who I be, what, who, who I want to be and what I want to do. And if it doesn't work out, then that's the information I needed. Mm. <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. And I think that you're being in a big firm, uh, in a firm like that, there's so much potential impact that someone like you can make in terms of your experience your and your, yeah. your business and your life experience. I think that's the massive upside uh, for the world in many ways in terms of the world that you're in. Um, before we wrap this up, I, I, I know that you have a practice and you're pretty um, structured around your personal development and your spirituality. Could you and would you share some of your practices, uh, some of your habits, some of the things that you do that set you up for uh, being able to navigate life on a daily basis and those challenges yeah. that come with it. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah, that's been a big journey. I mean, I, I think this is so funny because, you know, six or seven years ago when I had that, you know, as you call it, the existential crisis, <laughs> I had a bath for the first time since I was like eight years old. Interesting. And I remember, remember the idea of having a bath was it was like, what you know it's waste of time yeah time and like just kind of even felt weird you know just sitting there doing nothing in the water you know gosh um <laughs> yeah um so yeah it's 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 been it's been quite a journey on, on on this front um yeah so in the morning i've got a it's about a two and a half hour practice that involves various things so i um yeah, there's various kind of stretching, you know, so I, I do the lacrosse ball on the bottom of the foot. Um, there's some sort of spinal stretches, do some lower back exercises. I jump on a, a little mini trampoline for about 10 or 15 minutes. Um, I do meridian tapping. So on various points where the, we've got clusters of nerves and that kind of gets 
um, basically just creates impulses that kind of move through the body and get things fired up. Um, do sequences of numbers and midline crossing stuff. Uh, we'll then have a, a shower. And then I, I've got a, about an hour long uh, Kriya yoga practice. So Kriya yoga is um, <laughs> more on the energy system and it's more inwardly focused. Um, again, that's a, that is a whole other story. But yeah, so they're, they're, they're two very structured practices that I learned through um, uh, Sadhguru. So he's mm -hmm. the head of the Isha Foundation and so on. But I mean, that's been amazing because I've been, I got to say, I've been doing it for a couple of years now. And when I started doing it at the start, it was great. But these days, it's it's the ability to see inside my own body. And I go, okay, this is what's going on today. I can see my mind's a little bit busier. Oh, yeah, because I'm a bit tired. So that thing's kind of running a little bit more. And it's not just the posture, but it's like, oh, my shoulders. Like my, my shoulders will tend to kind of tense up. My body will contract and kind of, and I can, in, a, in the practice now, I've got it to the point where I can just kind of keep my shoulders down. And it sounds like it's such a small thing, but you've got, I mean, th those subtle changes, what that can do for your, um, the, the chemical composition in your body, the hormonal structure, what's going, I mean, it's, it's amazing, RJ. So um, I do that every morning and um, yeah, that, that completely sets me up. And for me, it's a non-negotiable. It's just like, I will do that every day because like, I, could, I mean, the difference is profound. Profound, yeah. Um, so, so that's a big part of it. Um, sometimes at night, um, yeah. Another thing is if I'm feeling a bit wound up, I've got a uh, one of those weighted blankets. Have you ever tried one of those? Mm. I'll get you. I'll send you a link, man. They're like these blankets that have these tiny little glass beads in them. But the idea being is they put pressure on the body. Um, and again, just a little bit of pressure across the body again tells your nervous system you're being held. It's really relaxing and really calming. Um, yeah, bunch of things, my friend. Bunch. Of, I mean, like again, we could do a whole other show on that. But um, on but but yeah, I've just yeah, learned a bunch of things about um, even self care. You know, how to take how to take care of myself and because at the end of the day, when when I'm in that space, I know that's the space I'm in for my kids. Um, and I, I'm not in that spot. I just also want to be really clear. I've got nothing figured out. I, I'm not, this, I'm not hundred percent anything. You know what I mean? Like I, this is, this is just every day I do it a little bit better. And sometimes I go back a little bit and I do better in those days by forgiving myself more quickly. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It's not necessarily doing better, but it's being gentler and, and forgiving ourselves and more accepting. And just with your routine, I would mm -hmm. say that, it's quite different than most of the conversations we have. And I, I really relate to what you're doing, although I don't do it because I, I personally, given my logistic tendencies and my energy, I have this subtle anxiety throughout mm -hmm. the day. And it's like, there's right. something that there's, that's why I think I drink hot water all day. I drink gallons of it. Like I just, I'm just always seeking to calm my internal system down. Mm. And I might unpack some of that with you offline, because I think that you would probably be the same. And there's a lot I can learn from you around that because my nervous system and my energies are 
never really aligned, um, either pushing myself far beyond um, uh, the, the kind of the boundary of the physical norm, uh, yep. or I'm internally kind of exhausted. And I'm generally moving between those two and to find more of a baseline would probably be the, would be the go, man. So uh, I, know. I, I, used, I used to say I used to say I balanced was a state I would pass through rapidly twice a year from one extreme to the other. <laughs> oh, man, I, I, I get that. No. Yeah, yeah. No, let, let's do it. That chat. It's um, yeah, th there is a lot of really good stuff around that. And, um, yeah, no, I do relate. I do relate. Um, and like I said, it's 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 an ongoing thing for me too. You know how to how to kind of come back, come down a little bit. Um, that's okay. And I think the the great thing about having, I mean, I also I've got a couple of people I work with. Like one of my other partners, he's just one of these guys who like, I, I you know, he. I mean, to me, he's incredibly inspiring in the sense that he just chooses. As he says, he just chooses to be happy. He hasn't done any of this sort of work, but he's just kind of there. You know, it's like it's. I don't know if you people like that. Why, yeah. What he's told me is he, he's really good with people, but he he doesn't. But 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 what he he doesn't necessarily know how to work with the underlying stuff because he hasn't had a, a like a lived experience of having gone through it. So for me, like, and this is why I really I, I thank you for your honesty and just showing up so transparently about your story and kind of where you're at. And again, that's that's hugely permission giving. So like, thank you. Um. And I think one of the, the gifts of going through something like this um, and being in a position where, you know, it can be shared is that that's, that's the give back. My, my point is that I, I, I used to, I, I used to say that like <laughs> my ego was so funny because I used to always have this idea that I was supposed to be somewhere other than where I was. And so then I, and I started thinking about that and going, Oh, that's interesting. So, so there's so, so I was, if we look at the scientific view, the universe has been around about like sort of 14 billion years, and I'm kind of at the tip of it at this point in time, and I'll be around for a, you know a millipuftinth of nothing of it, and yet somehow I know better than the thing that created and involved me where I'm supposed to be in it. Mm. <laughs> and then I started to realize that maybe like here, actually this is where I'm meant to be right now because I am. I mean there's there's nothing to argue with. So then it's how do I make this moment is beautiful and as good as it could possibly be. Just this moment, you know? And then the next one and the next one. And so for me, the the work and the give back these days is is kind of as much as I can to try to, I mean, I, I look at it like this, you know, you need to take a bed sheet and you shake it and like a wave goes through. Does that make sense? You know, when you do that with a sheet. So think of it like this. I like to think of it like all of the the patterns, the, you know, the, you know the pain or suffering, trauma, or whatever you want to look at it, it, it gets it gets passed down through family lines and ancestry. And so, at the moment, that wave, that energy, that field is in me. Like I'm, it, it's connected. Like it's in this this world through me at the moment. And if I can change my shape when it's in me, in other words, if I can do something to just take a little bit of the edges off, it's going to get passed on. Just. A little bit smoother, a little bit kinder. Mm -hmm. There's no awards. I don't get, you know, but like think of the impact that has. Mm -hmm. And 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 I think the thing is it doesn't matter in some ways what I do. Um, 
as long as I'm, if I'm doing that in whatever situation I'm in, then that's it. That's the work. I appreciate that. And I think what we'll do is we'll leave it there, Carter. I really want to appreciate you and, and thank you for the time that you've given us today. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thanks for the opportunity. I'm also aware that you perhaps had some other questions you wanted to ask that perhaps you didn't get to. So. No, we just roll with it, man. It's all good. All right. Good stuff, my friend. Thank you so much, RJ. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, of course.